the Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. I don't know how many times over the years I've sat down with a brand spanking new business owner, a little baby entrepreneur who has told me of their plans. By the way, they don't even have any clients yet. No systems in place. But they're telling me of their plans to franchise their business concept, maybe white label some of their very own products. And that rarely happens. This is the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Melton, the side gig prophet, joined today by my co-host, a serial CFO, Mr. Chad Brown, as we interview somebody who has a successful business, a very strong, fit business, and they actually have launched their own franchise. On the front side of it, this isn't somebody with 20 franchise locations already. This is someone who's just launched a franchise company. Keith Kepner is boxing coach and owner of Kepner Boxing Franchising Company. And we're going to talk to Keith today about how to get started if you do want to be the guy, the fit entrepreneur who's got systems in place, who launches the franchise. This is the conversation for you. Here's the interview with Keith. All right, guys, welcome to the Entrepreneur Adventure. We're so excited today. We've got an awesome guest, Keith Kepner. Thanks for joining us, Keith. Thank you, Chad. Welcome. You. Keith, we're not definitely like me and Chad aren't going to start a fight today. We know we'd <laughs> both lose if the punches start flying, but man, we are really excited to hear your story. Very successful in what you do. One of the things I love most about you is like you're singular focused, man. So many entrepreneurs are all over the place trying to scale multiple summits and you're like laser yep. focused on what you do. So dude, tell us the Kepner boxing story. Tell us Keith Kepner story. Like get us started, man. What are the entrepreneur adventure start for Keith Kepner? Yeah. Well, so kind of just starting back from the real sharp beginning. Uh, I was born in Athens. I'm an Athens native. Uh, and I've lived here my whole life, minus I lived two years in Mexico uh, boxing. And yeah, and so just grew up around this town and went through many phases, part of being, uh, and always wanted to do something great, right, and be significant. And I wasn't sure how I wanted to do that. So it started off for, first with my mom being an artist, and so I was very much into art. So when I was going to Montessori School in Athens, uh, everyone was like, oh man, he's such a great artist. He's so creative. And then my dad would say, oh, he's going to be welterweight champion of the world. And it would always make everyone <laughs> mad. Uh, and so, so I grew up as an art kid doing claymation, all this other stuff, and you know, very talented at that. And then that went over to music. And then next goal was to be a rock star, right? So I went with that for a while and, uh, and had some interesting lessons that I learned along that way. But then also kind of got off track a little bit, which is um, around the time that I started having some health issues and not even knowing it. So I was having issues with anxiety attacks, losing weight and memory loss, a lot of problems. And so long story short, started about sixth grade and until about age 17, I was down, going downhill really, really hard. And my parents tried to take me to many different types of specialists, couldn't get an answer. Uh, and I was, I was sleeping 18 hours a day. I was about 126 pounds, had uh, joint pain, muscle spasms. And my mom was doing a Google search back in about 2002 or three. And uh, came across Lyme disease and says, okay, well, baby, let's do a test because uh, the CDC hadn't recognized it in Georgia yet. So we got a Western blot test, came up positive. And I remember when I got that, uh, when she called me up, I was with my friend and I was 17 and she told me that that's what it was. 
And I was so happy. And my friend was confused, like, why the heck are you happy that you have a disease? So you understand, <laughs> I have an answer that I'm not that much of a screw up. I'm not because I was struggling so hard with myself, mm. fighting against myself to try to like be productive. I had to, I was, I was a high school dropout at that point. I literally attended a semester of high school uh, in terms of credits. I got a GED, but that was it. And uh, yeah, I thought it was my lot in life to kind of be just, you know, for lack of a better word, like a loser. And uh, I felt inside of me that that wasn't me, but uh, it was validation that that wasn't me. Wow. So, so finding out you had Lyme disease was almost like this, like answer to the prayer. Oh, man, thank you. Because I, now I have something, right? That's now right. you know who your opponent is, you can fight it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. So you find out you got Lyme disease. What and so then next? quickly, I realized I had changed my life around, which means to stop living an unhealthy life. So I was smoking a pack a day of cigarettes. I was doing that for about four years at that point, smoking weed all the time, drinking, and uh, yeah, and so I was starting my treatment for Lyme disease and here my parents are spending thousands of dollars a month for treatment and here I am smoking cigarettes, all this other stuff, right? So I realized there was a disconnect and I wasn't being truthful and the last thing I wanted to be was 30 years old or I'm 33 years old now, 33 years old and still be sick and have an excuse and that's Lyme disease versus I did everything I could to own the situation and take control of it. And so that got me to stop doing all that stuff. I had to burn all the bridges with my friend, get, get away from them. And then that led me to boxing. So my father is a professional boxing coach. He's also a PhD in neuroscience. He's a clinical psychologist. And um, he, uh, he was kind of my field of diamonds in my own backyard because I had always seen boxing growing up. I just wasn't really that into it. You know, I was more into music and uh, art and whatnot. And, but I was a weak you know, sickly guy. And to me, a fighter was the antithesis of that. So that's what I want to be. And also part of that kind of becoming a man time of your life, you know? And so I went into that. And initially my goal with boxing was I would want to build up some base with boxing and then go into MMA because that was really big at that time. We're talking about maybe 2005 or so and like Forrest Griffin from Athens, a whole bunch of other guys from Athens were, you know, getting known. But I just fell in love with boxing and with the training. And so I continued to train and attempt to box while going through Lyme treatment for years. Uh, needless to say, I wasn't very successful, but I did learn a lot about myself. And during that time, learned a lot about boxing and literally did nothing else but box and train and learn. Yeah, but you made that decision to change this, to pay the price. Like, man, I'm willing to get rid of the people I'm hanging out with. I'm going to get rid of these habits, which are, I'm assuming you're smoking a pack a day. It's, it's a habit at this point, but yeah. you're able to, oh, yeah. like, you break th broke free from all these things. You start boxing. You're you're doing this deal. Again, you're still fighting this disease as yeah. you're yeah. boxing other right. <laughs> boxing uh, people who probably aren't fighting yeah. Lyme disease. So take us from there, man. So you're, you're boxing. You're going after it. How do you go from there into being an the, entrepreneur? The, into the business. Yeah. So, um, so my boxing ended in 2010 in Mexico. It was actually July 4th. I got a neck injury, actually self-inflicted by accident, trying to strengthen my neck up and managed to pull it out of alignment. Oh, wow. And I found out later I had massive bone uh, spurring in my neck from getting hit and maybe oh, wow. calcification from Lyme disease. It can cause weird things like that. But anyway, so uh, needless to say, I got hit a lot because I was the type of guy that, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm like taking six antibiotics at a time still trying to box and maybe I fatigue out that day and I would like argue with my dad like no just let me like let me spar a few more rounds he's like dude you're getting the hell beat out of you I'm like let me just spar so I'd never quit and that's something that I have trouble having respect for people that do quit right because it's like you can do it if you want to do it you know granted if you don't want to do it, that's okay but don't say you want to do it and then quit and that's one of the lessons of boxing it's like actually my wife who 
fought 22 fights in Muay Thai, MMA, kickboxing, and boxing. Like she said to her, to the, always to people, is that you know she never turned away uh, even when she first started sparring and stuff like that. Some people inhibitly just turn away. She would look at the floor sometimes, but and get the hell beat out of her. But like just that type of cowering away, you know. And she has that same mentality. But so anyway, 2010 is when it all stopped, and I thought my life was taken away because at that point I literally had had no girlfriend really to speak of in my life, minus like. Uh, for like a month right so no relationships living with my parents in mexico uh basically i was living in a cabin they were living in a house i was living in a cabin next to it and i had nothing i had no schooling no college no friends nothing you put all your energy and identity that's right into being a boxer that's right it was your savior that's right that's right and it was all over it was all over so crying for a couple de- couple weeks right and then and then the pain and issues that happened for a short time with the neck injury uh, and then quickly my father told me, well, why don't you start coaching? And I told him initially, I said, no, I don't want to do that. That's horrible because uh, this is how negative I was. I said, man, that's just like uh, getting divorced from your wife and then saying, how about you go watch you know, someone out and hang out with your wife, right? So it's like this thing that I love, <laughs> and now I got to watch everyone else do it. And it's like, oh, or I got like freaking, he's like, why don't you go to the gym? I'm like, yeah, I go to the gym and, and, and try to train the guy that, made my neck injury worse, you know, like, man, you know, cause like the only time I've been knocked down one time from a body shot and one time when I had the neck injury. Uh, and so, and it was this one guy, Adrian Escalera, who ended up being a pro fighter. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I was like, dude, I don't want to freaking like go around that, you know, it's, it's embarrassing and everything else. And I'm also just, I'm, I'm, uh, bitter about it. Anyway, I came back up to the United States, uh, and started working with just a real small podunk MMA club in Jefferson. It was the back room of a weightlifting gym, super dirty <laughs> weightlifting gym called the Fitness Factory uh, by these train tracks. And it was just blood, on, literally blood on the wall, no exaggeration, blood on the ring. It was just a crap hole. I thought you weren't supposed to talk about Fight Club. This, <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah. like this is what it is. That's man. what it was. So I went in there with all these, you know, redneck guys and, and helped them get their striking better with their hands because, you know, MMA, you got to get good at all of it. A couple of those guys won some state titles. Um, with, with my assistance for their boxing. And uh, yeah, and then that kind of led me down that road. And then about that time is when I met my wife. So my wife was in Alpharetta during all this time. And she was actually managing a gym called KBX for about five or six years, also fighting for them. And uh, I met her on Match.com. Funny story is my father actually wrapped her hands for her first fight ever back in like 2006. And her and I met 2000. 10. What a cool story. Yeah. So, or 2011. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was 2011. And so, yeah, so it was real funny. And we pieced it together. I was there the same night at these some of these fights that she fought. Never met her or anything else. And uh, so it was, it was a cool, like, roundabout way. But anyway, so meeting her introduced me to two things. One thing was that, okay, I can make this more than a hole-in-the-wall thing. You know what I mean? Because I was raised around, like the gym I trained in Mexico was literally had no roof. It was dirt floors. There was no bathroom. The coach lived in a room smaller than this one with his kids and his wife and slept in one bed. And that was the boxing gym. Of course, up here, the ones I was in were a little bit better than that, but not much better. And so that's what I was exposed to. And that's what my father taught me of that's how it is. That's how it is. It's, it's got to be hard. It's yeah. got to be. Yeah. yeah. Fighters don't want this other thing. You're like, oh, you know, box it. Ah, you know, you don't want to do that. So it was, I was very, you know, rigid and I was mentoring under my father and I literally learned everything that he learned. You know, he taught me, I studied intensely under him for years 
And so I was just like a, a duplicate of him at that point, right? Which is what we have to do, right? We have to learn completely from somebody and kind of model them. Then we have to learn how to be our own thing. So me and my wife introduced me to that new thing. And so I was like, okay, wow, you can have a gym, have a bunch of members, live off the gym and live well, right? And have a ton of clients, still have fighters and have the best of both worlds. I'm like, wow. Okay, so that inspired me to do that. Uh, and then got married a couple of years later. And uh, so you didn't start as business partners in this gym. You no. were like, there's two things I want to accomplish. Yep. I'll do the gym. I'll use that to win her. Yep. We'll bring it all together. Exactly. And now you're laser focused. You're, I'm going to start a gym. It's going to be this combination of boxing and fitness and different yep. things. Exactly. Did you focus on how much money it's going to make, how much it's going to cost to start? Were there any obstacles in your way or anything that you had to overcome? Or was it, this is what I'm doing. I, it's all on the line. I'm going through the motions. What was your mentality at that point? Didn't even know what I didn't know. Yep. Didn't even freaking know, man. So like, I'm just like, oh, you just, I, mean, I wasn't even keeping track of memberships. So I assume it, it was, you hadn't yeah. read any business books. You no, had, like, I mean, the only job I'd ever worked was at Subway <laughs> and on a, on a construction thing. And at Subway, the only lesson I learned was like, one, I don't like working for other people very much, but I was an okay worker, but it was funny. I didn't learn this lesson until later, until I started actually hiring people myself. Sure. But the lesson was, I worked at Subway for six months and I didn't get a raise. And I was like, what the hell? I'm doing my job. I haven't gotten a raise. They said I could get a raise in six months. What's going on? I'm the best sandwich artist has ever been here, man. <laughs> right? But, but I was giving away sandwiches, right, to people. Um, I was eating, I was taking sandwiches home. And I was doing my job, but then I was also stealing from the company, right? And so obviously I was just a kid at that time, but I, I didn't connect the dots, or I didn't connect the dots rather, the most important thing, I wasn't going the extra mile. Uh, so I was doing yeah. only that was what was asked. You were checking the boxes. That's yeah. right. I was checking the freaking boxes right. and then sometimes unchecking boxes and then a little confused why I wasn't getting a raise. And so I didn't learn this until I started actually hiring people for Kepner Boxing and go, oh, like, yeah, this person kind of wants a raise, but they're just doing the bare minimum and you have to do a little bit more. And I think I learned that lesson from starting a business and growing a business is that um, when I was just, it was just me in like a 1200 square foot location with 75 clients, I was going the extra mile for every single one of them. And I wasn't getting rewarded for it at that time. So you cared about serving the client. That's that right. was your draw and, and above all else, I'm gonna serve the client well and everything else will figure itself out. That's right. And so like you guys know with business, and that's one thing that my father taught me because my, my father ran probably the biggest uh, practice to, to treat uh, anorexics in the United States. Wow. And so people would fly into Athens to work with him. And he was on the Oprah Winfrey show for that and everything else. So he was nationally renowned. And his one thing he oh, taught okay. me was the service. Uh, now, the one thing he didn't teach me though was the marketing. The marketing and the scaling, right? Those are the two things that, that he didn't have. So he's doing it all himself. And, you know, in 1990, he was making $200,000 a year for his own practice. But, you know, the problem was he goes on a vacation for a month, loses like, yeah, 50% of his practice, and then spends six months or a year trying to build it back. So anyway, though, he taught me service, right? Because with business, it's, it's a balance between service and profit, right? Yeah. And if you only make profits, it's a scam. And if you only give service, it's a charity. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to find that middle ground. And, and so, I'll, but fortunately I've always leaned on the side of service and which is a side that I think everyone would rather lean on because you can always pull yourself over. So part of the whole mind shift, we expanded out of the 1200 locate, uh, 1200 square foot location, super bitsy bitsy bursting at the seams to Baxter street location, which is about double the space. And, uh, moving into there is when the big shift happened. Cause it was like, Oh man, now we're on a, a bigger location compared to what we were before. We are, living off of our facility now. And it's like, 
you know, we want to have a family, everything else. So it's like, this is serious now. And then this is where I met a person that was the person to get me to the next level. And cause Lisa got me to that level and also helped. She's continued to grow and help the whole company expand, you know, as I have, but a person that came into my life, a guy named Vernon. So he, he ran a multi-million dollar Facebook marketing company in San Francisco. He reached out to me about some marketing that was literally like no money down, just we share the profits. And I was like, that's an offer. Wait, those emails are real? Yeah. <laughs> this one was. This one was. Out of out of out of a thousand. Was right? he a Nigerian so, prince? Uh, Dude, I want to know <laughs> this. All right, so let's pause for a yeah. second here. The gym's profitable. Yeah. Things are going well. Yeah. Your plan is working. Yeah. You're supporting We're the family. We're sole proprietors. Yeah. Uh, at that time, what was your fuel to? I want to grow bigger. I want to do more. I want to hire more people. What was what was your entrepreneurial fuel at that point to want to do more? Did you have, I want to be the best gym uh, in Georgia. I want yeah. to be twice this size. What was yeah. pushing you at that What's point? What's the long term? Did you yeah. have this like bigger dream you're running toward? Or is it just like, I'm, I'm just serving people, man. So so the two dreams we're running towards was with larger facility, larger clientele base, right? So always like climbing up, climbing up, climbing up. Um, at that time, the goal was to hit like, you know, 200 or 300, you know, consistent clients. So always goal. Yeah. Oriented. You always, always, had, goal. always had goals set and numbers and metrics. Yeah. To... So, so in, well, not for the first two years. Okay. But then when we moved to Baxter Street 2015, that's when I really knew that I had to take ownership of the situation and I started getting into the personal growth stuff. Yeah. And that's where simply, I remember one of my fighters fought at women's, women's national golden gloves and I drove down like six or so hours down to Fort Lauderdale, whole way down. I'm listening to uh, Brian Tracy's audiobook, No Excuses. And that, for instance, just like that one little thing, uh, I was like taking notes the whole way down, which is probably not a good idea when you drive, but I was doing that. <laughs> and because I wasn't going to waste the time and turning into a rolling university, right? And so it, I was introduced. Most guy ever. <laughs> yeah. I was introduced to the idea of goal setting, right? Like truly, because I, my dad exposed me to Earl Nightingale. He exposed me to Napoleon Hill. When I was in Mexico, I was memorizing Think and Grow Rich. And I literally recorded myself reading the whole book. And I memorized a couple of those mantras that are in there. And uh, that was my first exposure to that. But they, it kind of killed it for me when the boxing didn't work out. And I was like, oh, this is all BS. This is garbage. Uh, so, yeah, so it killed it. Uh, yeah. So I kind of had to find my own kind of people or philosophy that's associated with that to get to get back on track. So Brian Tracy was big in that. Obviously, Tony Robbins, all those people like that. Jim Ron. And, but with Tracy talking about simply, it's been called the Seinfeld method of like putting up a calendar and checking off every single day, how much money you're making every single day. Are you, for instance, exercising every day, like your certain goals, metrics you want to hit being dead focused on that. I went from doubling my own personal income in a year. So, you know, I went from like 20,000 to 40,000 in one year. And so it was just like, wow. And so at age like 26 or so, with no high school education or anything else, literally no education really besides self-education, here I got to double my income in one year. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. And so that just fueled to it. And then meeting this guy, Vernon, that gave me this great marketing proposal that worked, um, I was like, okay, wow. And then he, I started kind of like reaching to him to help because he ran two successful Krav Maga gyms in San Francisco. So he knew what it took to scale to two locations, for instance, and kind of some of the things that are involved. And so, man, I started talking to him, talking to him, and he gave me some more image. He's like, man, Keith, in a few years, you are not going to be even in your business if you don't want to be. And all your wife, are, all you and your wife are going to be doing is just selling, just selling memberships. And now we're not even doing that. Our team does that. 
But that is fantastic. Yeah, more beautiful. So, so you, which is hard to envision at the time because impossible. You are the impossible. technician. You are the knowledge base. You are everything. You are the business. Your name is on the business. Like, let me throw this I, in there. I going to not be in the business. Every, every single day. person would tell me, Keith, this is so great. Too bad it's all just based on you. And it's like, that's why it's so great. And yes. but, so that's the thing, I guess the message for people that are getting into business or have a business is that even if that's true at that time, it doesn't have to stay true. So dude, all right. So let's, let's hone in on this a little bit. Yes. So here you are, you start your own business. You've worked in the field. So you know, your craft, you know what you're yeah. teaching. You don't know anything as about far as the training, about. not the business, but yeah. the training. Yeah. Yeah. So you know the product, Yeah. but you don't know the business yet. That's right. So here's what's kind of funny. I have an insurance background and when people are starting a business, they got to get insurance. And one of the questions the insurance agent will ask, the companies want to know is, Keith, how much money are you going to make your first year? And the, the entrepreneur is always like, I don't know. I mean, I haven't made anything yet. I'm just getting the insurance. But it's always a question. How much you get? <laughs> you don't know. Like once you start rolling and building the business, you, you start acquiring knowledge. Now yeah. you can kind of, oh, okay, like this is how it works. I can make the next step. It, four stages of competence, right? Like now you're starting to like, come up a little bit in that. So you go from building this practice, you're running out of space, you double your space. Mm -hmm. Now you're figuring out, okay, I know I did this. So what's it going to take for me to do this again, to scale up this next? And you meet this guy. Now, yeah. did you, I want to know, did you, did you search him out or he just like, no, he reached out to me. Okay. He reached out to you because he was doing what you're, what you're doing. Right? So at this time it was when the six week challenges, I don't know if you guys ever heard of these, uh, proposed like six week challenge fitness mm -hmm. things, right? Marketing things on Facebook and whatnot. This is when that was like super green, like super, like just anyone who did it crushed it. And so he, I didn't know about it. And my wife didn't know about it either because she was operating a gym that was like in 2005 technology, right? In 2013 or 14, 15 at the time. So she was a little bit behind as well. And so he kind of caught me up to speed. And, but he, he gave me the ideas of, what we need to do, what we don't need to do, some basic stuff, like basic stuff, like you need to have an enrollment. Because like, see, you know, my wife has experience and everything else, but it's again like, you know, she's my partner. I, she might let me shoot her down on some things back then that now she wouldn't let me do. But um, back then, you know, it's like, I'm like, oh no, I want to do it this way. And she was a little stuck in that small mindset as well of almost that thing that a lot of people get into when they start a business, I think, especially the, the technician is, you undercharge, you go, well, who would want to pay that much for it, yep. right? That type of thing. Uh, and then, like, I remember we would, we would, at least for me, it would be hard to sell a year membership. And now we sell year memberships all the time. Like the 19-year-old kid at our front desk sells year memberships. But I remember just being like so scared to ask somebody yeah. to commit for a year, even though I was ready to be there for a year for them. But I'm like, you wouldn't want to do that, would you? You know, so. I tell, I, I tell my team this, Keith, all the time now. It's like, I used to read stuff when I was getting started. And it would say, do this. Or I'd talk to somebody I find, you know, found online and they would say, hey, this is what you want to do when you're talking to a prospect. So I'd be like, okay, let me try to do it. And I'd go in and talk to a prospect. I just, I couldn't get myself to say it. But now I have other people saying it. You know, and it's like, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a big deal at all. The situations when you're starting out that seem hard, difficult, you stress out about, like now you just, you might get three or four of those a day and not even think about it because yeah. you've built up the stamina, the speed, the strength to handle it. So you're going from being, this one man wrecking crew building the business, serving clients to now having to figure out, oh, okay, I, I know the product. I got the yeah. values. I know what we want to offer here. I got to build some systems. I got to be able to train other people. Precisely. How to do what I do. And I am guessing from your focus and your personality, you're a bit of a perfectionist. Yeah, oh no, definitely. So letting 
somebody else take the reins yeah. on part of the business. This gets real challenging really quick. How, tell us the process. Yeah, so the process was a lot of misfires, right? So it's like <laughs> trial um, and error. Yes. Yeah, because here I have this guy Vernon telling me like, "Yo, you need to." do this and do that, have other people coach. I'm like, nah, man, no one else could coach what I coach, you know, that type of thing. And it's almost like a preserving of your ego, right? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like because your ego is, or what you are really small inside, that you're like, oh, I don't want anyone to be as good as me. Like somewhere in yeah. that, your head, that's Class only want to work with me. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so then, or it's like, if someone's like, oh man, like your other coach is really great. You're like, oh, you don't think I'm great? You know? <laughs> so it, 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 so there's a there's a certain it's interesting how it's those different stages almost of like ego right where it's like you have to be a little bit it's like for instance this is a funny thing right narcissism is a spectrum right you guys familiar with that idea yeah. so the opposite of a narcissist is an echo so an echo is never going to be a freaking leader but neither is a narcissist going to be a very good leader so it's somewhere within that spectrum in which you lie and so it's been a challenge I think for me to go from maybe echo being under my father and then breaking out from that and then maybe flying a little bit hard towards the, the dark side <laughs> and then pulling it back over, you know, and kind of finding the, the perfect points. And so it was a, it was a system, of a lot of misfires, uh, a lot of me having to like tell people to, to leave sometimes just because I would not hire correctly. I would pick the wrong people. So number one, hiring even above systems was the biggest problem because we didn't know how to hire. So that was something that was important to learn, but of course, symptoms, uh, systems in conjunction with that. And it was, man, we, we like a couple, maybe a year ago, looked back at our systems from uh, our previous location at Baxter Street, and we're like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, really? That was our system? But it had to start somewhere. Yeah. And so when that shift started, though, by the way, was getting exposed to a simple book, very simple book, basic book, is the E-Myth, right? Oh, yes. What and an so, awesome book. yeah, one person told me to read that, so I read it. And even though it doesn't give you the, the, the tactics, it gives you the, the mind shift change or the perspective change. And so learning that, getting those simple distinctions is what made me go, oh, it's possible and this is kind of how you would do it. So there's a long road of doing that. And uh, yeah, so when we were bursting at the seams at our location on Baxter Street, it was when I started to really implement that. My wife started to implement that with the front desk and I started to implement that with the coaching. So she essentially was the master back end person running all that and need to systemize that. She was doing that and then I need to systematize the front end. So, so E-Myth helped you identify, wow, I've built myself a job, yep. not a business. That's right. At that point, I got to hire. You made some hire mistakes. So for our, our audience listening, there's a lot of people in that position. They, they build a reputation. They build a business. They don't know how to hire. They don't know how to scale. What advice would you share with them on hiring or what did you learn through that trial and error hiring process? How can we make that easier for them? Well, the biggest thing, and this is like a cliche, but I just really want to drive it home because cliches are oftentimes true, is to just steal from everybody, right? So it's like, I remember when I read Sam Walton's biography, autobiography, and I was like, oh, wow. He like literally just went to other businesses and saw what was working and took it. And that's what I've done. And that's what we've done. Like, so I talked to someone who owns a Chick-fil-A, stole their hiring process. I read some of their books from their management, stole their processes from there. Um, so that was honestly some of the biggest fixes. Uh, and then a couple things of just experience base, but honestly it was as simple as that. It was simply reading some decent books on how to hire and then talking to some people that have good staff and stealing their processes like verbatim 
That is such great advice. And what brings this all home for me right now, I had lunch with a friend of mine a, a couple hours ago, and he was asking about uh, one of my businesses I'm trying to grow and scale. And I'm, I need to hire, but I feel like I got to build a training plan and foundation, all these things before I hire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to get my cart before my horse. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working with one of the guys on my team. We're going to build out this training manual and uh, it's going to take a few months. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he's like, why don't you just buy it from somebody that's already done it mm-hmm. and adapt it or steal it or go get it from somewhere else? And I was like, I've never thought about that. That's such a easier approach and faster approach to getting some sort of training system or training manual. Why am I trying to build something from scratch when I could go buy it or steal it? And so, yeah, that that related with me today and something I'm learning in my business, which is really cool. Yeah, and that particular idea, as you're sharing it, that slowed me up so much in my earlier days of being an entrepreneur. I would never completely take someone else's idea. I'd always had to put my spin on it. With, mm-hmm. If it's a system, I'm like, oh, you know, in my, but in my deal, it needs to be... Tw- yeah, so is it ego or is it? Yeah. yeah, I think it goes to what Keith yeah. was saying earlier is like, you know, there's that, there's, you're protecting that ego. Like, you don't really, you know, you want the next guy to be a good coach, but you don't want him to be better than you from the standpoint of how you feel as a coach. Now, as a business owner, you kind of want to have a lot of great coaches around, but yeah. you still want to be the greatest, <laughs> you know? And so that's how it was for me. And it held me back so much. It's, it's fun to hear all of us say kind of the same things. Like you got to start taking some ideas from other people and just rolling with it. Go for it, you know, keep moving. So you guys went from being in this, Again, you doubled your size, and then yep. you filled it up again. Yeah. So what happened next? Uh, then we started to experience a, a drop of clientele because we were too darn packed. And so we just had our, our daughter, and this is 2017, and we weren't planning – we were planning to put off moving a little bit, but then it was like, oh, my God, we got to move like because we're going to suffocate our business. And so then we were like, okay, well, if we're going to move, let's move to something that's reasonably priced, still has good roadside, um, but we will not have to move out of. And so then we went from 2,500 square feet to 6,000 square feet. And yeah, so, and that was, it was perfect. It was freaking just perfect how everything worked out. And we moved over July 4th week. So funny thing on that one, right? Just to talk about kind of the journey. And don't get me wrong, like I don't, I don't know whether it's good or bad. I don't spend a lot of money on stuff like this. But uh, so Tony Robbins was coming to town for the first time or to Atlanta. And it was literally gonna be, I think, the weekend before the big move week. And I was like, man, I don't wanna spend 50 bucks to go to that. I was like, I, I, was like, I wanna go, but I don't wanna spend 50 bucks. And my wife saw it and she's like, dude, just go. And so I went down there, it was great. And, uh, and then we spent the whole week doing like, you know, 17 hours a day moving and everything else and opening up. And it really bumped us to the next, next level where we are now to an extent. Keith, you're an intense dude, man. You're already motivated. You're doing every you know daily motivational videos on Instagram, yeah. and you're doing stuff on YouTube. You got a radio show. I can't imagine watching Keith Kepner walk out of a Tony Robbins event. <laughs> this guy's like the extra level of motivation. He probably came out like, <laughs> oh yeah, it, man. That's oh awesome. yeah. That's why your wife got you to go down there. She's like, we're about to do a lot of work. Oh yeah. I'm gonna up the motivation for Keith to the highest highest level ever. So you guys are focused on building systems. You built them obviously because you're scaling up. Talk to us about the, the turn for right now. What what Kepner yep. Boxing is doing because this is where I really believe. I've talked to so many entrepreneurs who they have this dream, this idea, but I very rarely have talked to anybody in the stage of it that you're at. Yeah. But you got to have great systems in order to do the next step. That's right. Which is franchising, which is where you guys, which you guys right. are doing right now. Yeah. So right. tell us about like what what 
switched in your head, right, all right, I think that's the next step for us. And then tell us about the process going from, from again, one, one unit that's expanding to we're going to franchise this model. Yep. So how it happened is we achieved everything we wanted at the beginning, right? So everything that was my dream of starting everything was achieved largely. And so it was a depressive, it was maybe like 2018 that I was like getting really depressed and lost feeling. Cause I'm like, I made it to the mountaintop. Now what? Right. And so, and it's not as like nice as I thought it was. Right? <laughs> like, it's cool, but it's like, for me, I want more and it's, I know I'm capable of more. Right. And so, um, and same thing with my wife because she, I got her sold on the growth idea and cause she's a conservative, real conservative type person, which balances me out. But I sold her on that. So she was like a little down too. like, what the hell do we do now? Kind of lost. Right. And so anyway, franchising after evaluating a couple different options seemed to be the best one uh, because you can only max out one location so much. And then you could always open up a second corporate location, but then you're doubling your liability. You're doubling your hiring and firing and just so many things. Um, and you're frankly doubling. Yeah. Like I said, liability in, in terms of just legal liability, but also like money wise monetarily. Mm -hmm. So, we're like, okay, maybe we're considering doing that, but then we started examining franchising more and that seemed to be the perfect fit. And what really drew me to the franchise model that I really like is that a franchisor, or sorry, excuse me, a franchisee is gonna treat their location, their business, like their own business, and typically they outperform corporate locations. You know what I mean? I didn't They're know run that. by management. Yeah. So if you just have a manager, you know, think about it just logically. Sure. I hope I'm quoting it correctly. I'm, I might be slightly off with like how I'm quoting this, but if you have a location that, let's say we have another company boxing, it's just ran by someone that's a manager, they're going to do a good job, but you're only so motivated, right? Yeah. They don't own it. Yeah. But if you paid the franchise fee of $35,000 and then you also put up $150,000 of your own money mm. into it and you're going to have this is what's going to make you some your living, it's serious now. And so you're going to go that extra mile. And so that sold me on it, right? Uh, and then it became the thing of, well, can we replicate and everything else? And so that's where, like I mentioned earlier before the show, we thought about for a couple of years, we start building out our systems more and more. And that's where it's almost like to touch on the Michael Gerber thing. It's like, run your business like you intend to sell it, mm -hmm. right? That's what he says. I say run your business like you intend to franchise it because it equals the same thing. And for us, that was a beautiful thing because some other gyms that I – talk with and a couple of gym owners I, I mentor, um, I see that that's what whole, has held them back is they don't have that next thing. And it's like, man, if you would just even pretend like you were going to franchise it, you could solve all these problems you have. Because my understanding there is you have to take detail and systems to a whole new level, as in walk in the door, turn the key, flip this right. switch, do these things. Like everything is built on a very detailed system and, and, a, and a franchise manual at that yep. point. Precisely. And it goes beyond the franchise manual. So our franchise manual is, I don't want to say wrongly how many pages it is, but it's, it's many, many pages. It's a thick. If you had to thick, guess, how many pages? I mean, it's over 100 pages. How, how many businesses out there right now, probably a million dollars more in revenue, don't have any manual? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Th this is, yeah. every business needs a manual. Every right. business probably needs a hundred page manual. Like that's you right. said, no matter build your business like you're going to franchise. That's that maybe the best advice we've had. And then we're backed up with training portals. Like I would recommend, by the way, a product you guys are probably familiar, familiar with, but Trainual. I, no lie. I just, I was listening to a podcast this weekend. So just a few days ago. And it was, there was an advertisement for training and it was like, 
you know, text this number, training on it. And so I got a text message from training on Saturday. It's Wednesday right Dude, now. Dude, check it out. Yeah. It's beautiful. Because all the paper crap we were doing with tests and everything else, it, it's just too much. With training, you do all the tests, everything else, and you can um, customize it for you, include video content. Because, like, again, with boxing, good luck trying to train someone to be a boxing coach without videos implanted. You can't just have that on a page. You have to see what it looks like. So, yeah, so we have just hundreds of hours of training material now that we've compiled over the past couple of years. Uh, and that's actually where it going into play with like our YouTube channel. So, you know, some of our videos have like 60,000 views and stuff like that on our Kepner Boxing YouTube channel. And so doing all that content over the years gave me a great library to add to that, right? So I can take some of those videos and double use them and use them to explain something that's in the training portal and use that as extra backup. And so that's been very powerful as well. It's like even before we created our systems on Trainual that we have, like uh, I would like send it to a coach, like, hey, check out this video, see how I explain this, see how this is, that's how that works. So that's, that's the benefit of putting all that out there. And I remember when I was putting all that stuff out there, because remember, boxing coaches, man, most of them are kind of a little bit like Mickey from Rocky, right? They're just sure. a little like that. And so, man, I remember some of these coaches, man, would come up to me when I was really like hitting the YouTube hard, hitting social media hard with like, videos on how to do stuff and they're like man you need to stop putting stuff out there like you need to like don't give it all away <laughs> like you know he's like your videos are so great i like watching them and like you know I, they're like i pick up some good stuff you know that i don't think about sometimes but like man don't put it out there for everybody because they tell it all our secrets yeah, yeah. they're not they're, gonna pay us anymore yeah and so they're feeling like a feeling of um scarcity mentality scarcity mentality yeah. yeah and it's like dude man and that's the thing like i told my staff my first like four coaches I brought on, right? I brought them on as a chunk, right? The first four coaches I ever had, brought them on as a chunk, trained them, uh, trained them all together. And uh, I told them like, hey, I'm not gonna make you sign a no compete contract because I know that what we're doing continues to grow so fast that if you take everything I taught you right now, you'll be left behind a year anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I don't care. That's amazing. So yeah, so that so obviously with the franchise, a little different though. There's a no compete sure. clause for that. But that's the mentality I come at. It's like, dude, I'm gonna tell you everything, everything about the business. And if you are able to model it, I've learned this. If you're able to model it, you kick ass and you deserve to get it. And if you you can't, you know, you can't. That's okay. Well, competition's healthy for everybody. Yeah. So, all right, you are running a business. You are growing a business. You believe in serving the customer, and that's where your heart and passion lies. So you care about the level your business is operating. How are you finding the time and energy to build all of the franchising side? How are you able to balance taking care of the business that's got you here and then also the shift to, oh, I need to spend all these hours building documents and training and manuals and attorneys and all the things yeah. that come along with it? What what helped you realize how you could make that shift and also financially be prepared for that shift? Well, two things. So one is, uh, you know, you guys are partners. So bringing on a franchise marketing partner that we yep. brought on to help us do the manual, to do some of the heavy lifting of stuff that like- man, Again, hiring or stealing. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let me tell you. It's so like the other day, I was like, I need to draw out more specifically our selling process for, for prospect fan franchisees. So I was about to sit down and start drawing it out. And I'm like, wait a second. That's right. They sent me this whole document with a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, let me go back in that. So I start looking through. I'm like, well, there it all is. <laughs> there it all is. Or it's like, for instance, we hired probably, well, I, I would say this 100%. The best fitness marketing company in the world right now 
we hired them for our location, okay? And what's funny though, is they do a great job, but I've been studying them for years now. So they'll be like, well, hey, Keith, have you tried this? I'm like, already doing that, already doing that, stole that already, <laughs> already found out about that. Um, or like this other guy who's probably like the second in the world, uh, perhaps, he's like one, at least in the top three or four of gym marketing. Uh, you know, he's, he did a book, right, as like a, um, what do you call that? When it's like, you, you buy a book, for, you pay shipping for it, oh, yeah. and that's kind of your, oh, yeah, so in like, to sell you, right? Sure. And so, man, listen, I bought the book for seven bucks, read the whole book, implement it, what we wanted out of it. I mean, we got it. We got it. We don't, you don't need to pay for the course. We don't need to pay for the course yeah. now and pay for the membership now, you know? And I mean, you know, maybe I will in the future, perhaps, like as the franchise scales, because that's something that's important too, by the way, in the franchising world, just to think about real quickly, is that uh, a competitive advantage in the franchising world truly is the sales and marketing. Because so many people will tell me, I've talked to some kind of big players in the Southeastern franchise world, and they say so many franchises, you're just brought, buying the brand. You're just buying the name. You're buying maybe the systems of how to provide the service. But man, it's like our the, the selling guy in, in the FMS, the uh, franchise company that we're partnered with. Alan said, he's like, man, the biggest lie is if you build it, they'll come. Like, hell no. Yeah. And it's like, man, right now with our one location, we're marketing big time, big time right now. And if we weren't, we wouldn't be doing well. We wouldn't be cash flow positive. And we are in the middle of a pandemic, you know, so... Um, but the thing is to answer your question more directly, when you build your business to be, and it is able to be franchised, I would think then you have the time to franchise, right? Gotcha. So because our business doesn't require me and my wife in it anymore, it used to be her running the front desk, taking payments, selling me coaching. That's all. And we never thought we would have evenings. Now yep. you know you've built something that can succeed yeah. without you own systems and foundations, which you can franchise. That's right. Because, like, man, we talk about sometimes just for fun. Like, man, we would work, like, 10 hours a week, maybe 15, uh, if we weren't doing this franchise thing. If we were just having Kepner Boxing status quo right now, yeah, you know, that's all we'd work, you know. But we're not satisfied with that. And we want to – and this is where the mission changes, right? So our company mission is – to positively impact as many people as possible through the discipline of boxing and fitness and to do that in a safe and supportive environment. And that's kind of the competitive advantage because, you know, you can have great boxing training, but it's not safe and supportive, right? Or you can have fitness, but you're not really learning boxing. So it's a kind of a, a mixture of those two things. And with that mission, though, as many people as possible, how do we do that? Franchising. Through scaling. Yeah. yeah. And my wife has a big passion, kind of like what was a passion that ignited it with me, with to bring her and to create this for her in a sense is she wants to create positive places for people to work. She wants to create positive businesses that people can be a part of. And I love coaching. And so I was a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, you know, I do the radio show, everything else. So I'm like, I kind of like fall into like almost life coaching a couple of people and whatnot. And I'm like, man, I really like this, but talk about focus. I'm like, I don't need to get derailed and start focusing on that and then crap all over Kepner boxing. Or it's like when I start doing some promotions, some fight promotions, and like in one night I make a couple thousand bucks like profit. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then I get derailed by that almost. And I'm like, no, stop, stop. Like stay focused. Keith. So how can I blend all of it together? Well, franchisees need to be coached. That's part of the deal, man. When you buy a franchise uh, from a great franchisor, they're going to coach you along the way. And your success is their success. And so I love that model. I love And especially, man, you start talking the first few franchises, but of course, all of them. But the first few, man, 
on an FDD form, franchise disclosure document, which is actually all it's required to be a legal franchise in Georgia, by the way, and a trademark. So you have to have your, uh, your logo trademark and have an FDD form, which is itself multiple, many pages. But anyway, part of that, man, is you include other franchisees on it. So, for instance, if you go out willy-nilly selling franchises to people and they're failing, failing, or not doing well, or getting irritated at you, and you're not giving them the service that you said you're going to give them, that's who your prospect's going to call. Sure. Because they get that FDD form, and they got two weeks before you are even allowed to sign it. So, if I present you with an FDD form right now, you cannot give it back to me in two weeks. You have to wait two weeks, then you can sign so it. So, there's laws to protect the franchisee. Yep. Give due diligence time. That's right. And if... Again, if you don't provide the track record of success and support yeah. to your first, let's say, five franchisees, then... Good luck. Yeah, you're done. Good luck, yeah. That's interesting. And so, and that's where, of course, right now, you know, we haven't had a franchisee open just yet. We have a couple of people interested. We have one person who's hot and ready to go, but actually because of their field, they work with the police force, there's a lot of things going on with that. And so, you know, they had to hold off just a touch. Um, but the, the key, though, is, man, is it's like... The best opportunity, like you guys know, to get in on is the beginning, you know, at the start. Because that's where you get the sure. best service. And the key, though, is that a business doesn't stay complacent, whether it's a franchise business or not. And that's something that I want to always make sure of that we do as a company. And I have made sure of with Kepner Boxing itself. It's Kepner Inc. Is, uh, is I mean, like something as simple as a form that you fill out on a link that you click on social media marketing can change your conversion by literally 100%, okay? Because let me tell you, so for instance, if you try to run an ad right now on, on Facebook and you don't select the right type of form for it that they fill out, you will get no leads possibly. If you simply change that form, we got 100 leads last month. It's crazy. Off of that alone. And, and let's, I wanna point out one thing here because I, I feel like a lot of our young entrepreneurs and a lot of our startup businesses now think there is some magic place they're 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 missing or they're looking for that viral video or they're looking for that if i could just market good on facebook these these things are making a huge difference in your business and drawing yeah. leads but it's one of 10 pieces of the puzzle that you have to perform day in and day out and you're spot on i think that's on. so important for for our audience to realize is you can't just do a really cool video or you can't just figure out how to do click funnels on facebook yeah. you got to have 10 pieces of the puzzle together performing at a high level. And to back up your point, so for instance, you know, you, if you click on one of our, and this is part of our, our training for our staff, our sales team, we have somebody that is essentially on call when they're awake. And if they're busy, then I'm on call for it. But when you opt into one of our funnels, guess how fast you get contacted? Automatic. Yeah, less than 60 seconds. That's the goal. MIT did a study. You guys familiar with the study? They found the conversion rates from online ads of any type of social media dropped by over 50% of just the person answering the darn phone or responding back to you if you didn't get back to them within five minutes. And we've seen that when a lead comes through and something just happened to happen, especially when we started doing it, and we didn't get in contact with them for like 45 minutes, they ghost us. They're on to the next thing. Yeah. And wrong. so, man, to hit them right away. And I challenge anyone that's listening that's a competitive competitor of ours or just someone who wants to rise up, that thing alone will do a couple things. It'll, it'll make your, your prospect, your future client, or sorry, your lead say, wow, right? And that's a beautiful thing. When, when, so when you hit that ad and then you get called by us and, hey, this is Keith Ketter Boxing. You know, so I inquired about us. You know, I was interested to find out what you want to get with boxing training. And they're like, wow. 
And then a lot of times people don't get, even get a chance to look at your competition. Yeah. They don't even get a chance. And so it's beautiful customer service. It's, and that's what I teach our people, our, our team and everybody else is that, man, customer service starts at the cell, right? So a good salesperson like you guys know is a consultative seller, right? Uh, a bad salesperson is trying to shove something down your throat you don't even want and they give you bad service while they do it. Whereas we try to find out what you want to gain with boxing training. And if we're a fit, we're a fit. If we're not, we're not. And that's Hand fine. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes like to talk about kind of the, what the entrepreneur will go through is like, you guys know, I know you know this is getting rid of bad clients, getting rid of people that are toxic. <laughs> so getting rid of um, a man, there's this quote, I don't want to say who it's by, but it's, it's a beautiful quote that changed my life when I heard it. And that was that uh, the worst or the, sorry. Yeah. The worst employee is a good employee. Because they're not great and they're not so bad that they're gonna that you're gonna fire them. Mm, so they're not gonna sure. bring you to the next level, but they're just good enough. And so that's something that's very important. But uh, also with clients, like once a year, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients, uh, and thousands of people that come through the doors, we might have to maybe ask one person to leave, which is pretty good. But you know, one person that maybe is not a fit. You know, they're maybe cussing a lot. We don't cuss in our facility. Uh, maybe they're saying things to other clients that are inappropriate. We remove that to keep it a space because I know my personal goal, I have a three and a half year old daughter, is to have a business that she, when she's 16, 17, 18, 19, however old, could come in and be taken care of, be at home. Man, you've, it's so impressive. You've mastered a couple of things that almost every entrepreneur I know struggles with their entire life. Number one, there's the entrepreneur Achilles heel of chasing all this other stuff, losing yeah. focus and going after the promotions and going after the, the coaching and the other things. And they just can't focus yeah, enough. Cause they, the on comment the you hear boxing. is like, well, you're leaving money on the table. If you don't add oh, yeah. on all this, absolutely stuff. leverage these relationships, leverage your knowledge, do these things, make money in other spaces. You've been able to not only ignore all that, but also find a way to bring it back in on the back end of the focus and direction. And then outside of that, uh, you know, what we're talking about now is uh, telling clients no or yeah. getting rid of clients, firing clients. Uh, you spend most of your life as an entrepreneur, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to get revenue higher? How am I going to get more clients? How do, I, how do I bring people in the door? And to be able to flip the script and say, okay, now to continue to grow my business, I got to get rid of some clients. I got to yeah. tell some people no. And not only I got to tell them no, I got to fire some people that are paying me. That's just mind blowing for most oh, people. Yeah. And for you to be able to see that and perform and continue to grow, I mean, what an awesome story and experience. Uh, and of course, we can all that. we can all rationalize the reasoning, right? Oh, so absolutely, the, the yeah, game, right, yeah. But well, so, just charge them a little more money. You know, I can deal with the toxic. Yeah. And that's not the <laughs> exactly, answer. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I'll tell you, so it, and this is where it's, it, it's funny because I get away from this from time to time as I continue to get a little bit better at what I do um, and get more detail with it but or nuance is I tend to forget some of the, the broader concepts, right? But one broad concept that really helped me stay focused and focused and focused and focused. Like one was an analogy, but two was just this general beautiful phrase that I first was exposed to by Earl Nightingale. Um, and that's, I think it's a, a book. I haven't read the book actually by Russell Conwell, I believe the name is, uh, Field of Diamonds. And, uh, so essentially you guys are familiar with the basic story, right? I know Josh is, Josh, tell the story real fast. Yeah. So the idea that this is the, if 
Acres of Diamonds is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, Acres, right? that's right. That's right. Acres of Diamonds. Thank you. Yeah, thank so you. this guy's going off in the world trying to find, like, oh, man, I hear this. There's this mysterious, you know, field of diamonds. I'm going to go off and find it. And he goes his whole life looking for this thing, and he never finds it. And comes to find out his whoever was left behind him that he actually lived there. So it was yeah. like his backyard that's right. was this acre of diamonds that he, you know, he, looked, he searched for his whole life, and it was in his backyard the whole time. That's right. That's right. And so that simple thing of acres, that's right, acres of diamonds. I say field of diamonds, but yeah, you're right. It's acres of diamonds. That simple concept. And it's something I think that my father taught me. Um, and, you know, my father and I, the last four years of him being alive, he passed about a year ago. Uh, he disowned me. We were estranged. It was a very uh, challenging situation. And, um, but there's so much that he taught me, and that was one thing, is the field of diamonds in your own backyard. And so that's, that concept is what brought me to boxing. Because it was something in my own backyard with my father that was right there. I had a professional boxing coach that I grew up with. Let me use that. So I used that and learned how, how I could grow from that. And then, um, again, it's like, okay, is our business truly maximized? No. You know, sure, it's maximized maybe in a certain small segment of it. But how are other ways it can be maximized and still be within line? And also, to be clear, too, this is also an important point as well. I talk about the freaking focus is that think about it as we have been building this franchise there is no way that we are hurting our sole location because as the systems get perfected that only benefits your business gets yeah. better and then think about yes. this as we open up franchisees locations maybe they will test out some different things maybe they'll discover some more things that they can that are better and Kepner Inc will pick that up and do that here and so it's, it's staying completely on task and focus. And it's like, actually, it's funny, man. There's this song, this new release song that's like something to the effect of like, um, I, we just want to do this for the rest of our lives type thing or something like that. And uh, like me and my wife were, you know, connecting on that yesterday because it's like, you know, we just want to do this for the rest of our lives. Grow this thing. And uh, there's so much benefit to it. And there's so much. And this is something I think that the entrepreneur loses side of is that there is true growth to be found in any area there's true fulfillment to be found and meaning to be found in any area right because as i've gotten out of the goal of trying to produce champions that's not my personal goal anymore um i did that for a period of time but now it's to produce other champions in a way right and so to find the gold within your own endeavor right so it's like I'm not, I still love the fighting. I still love fighters and I still love that aspect, but that's not what I'm all about now. And I found something else I'm in love with, with it, which is business, which is all of this stuff, entrepreneurial stuff, marketing, sales. Oh my gosh, I, I'm in love with sales because of what it can do for other people and what it can do for business and progress. But it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's something that I didn't know was there. I didn't know that was there six years ago. But you absolutely believe in what you're selling. Yes. Sales is easy for you because you're like, Anybody who buys what I'm selling, their life is better. Yes, because they're getting it. I no, I, I believe in it, but I, I do have to, I do have to come at that like even you can believe in it and still have trouble selling it, because it's one of those things like, I don't know, what's a good analogy for it? Where it's like you can believe in what you're. Let me give you an example. So I learned from my father how to. So he succeeded as a technician, right? So by being literally the best in the world, probably at his time in the early '90s. That's why he succeeded in what he was doing. He could not sell his way out of a paper bag. He wrote a book. It didn't get published until like two years ago. And he wrote it back in the 80s. Okay. Like he just, he, and he, he always taught me something that he was taught 
which was wrong. And that's that if you build it good enough that people will buy it, it's not the truth. <laughs> and so I learned how to sell and it, because initially how he would sell and how I learned to sell is to sell people on what you like about it. It's not about that. Right? So that, and that is the challenge of like, if you believe in the benefit, but if you don't know what someone else is looking for with it, you might sell them the wrong thing or you might sell them uh, in the wrong direction. They might not understand. Right? Yeah. As a customer, all they care about is what, how do they win? Yeah. What do they get out of yeah, it? So, yeah. So let's, let's quantify that. So believing in, in something, in and of itself, yes, doesn't mean you'll be good at selling it. Sure, but if you're, it's a foundation. If you're a decent salesperson, let's say just yes, like you understand the, the fundamentals of sales and you truly believe in something, it's it's not it's not hard to sell something you believe in if you have some skills. Versus for me, like I can sell first if I believe in it, man, I can sell you. Yeah, if I don't believe in it, I just can't do it. Well, that's what I, I could. You know what I'm saying? But it's just like, oh, I just. I can't, I, I can't get myself to sell something I don't believe in. Right now in our industry, too, with all this crazy stuff going on, we could be selling snake oil like crazy, like sure. most of our competitors. Oh, I know. We're not doing it because I'm like, I'm not selling you a bag of crap, man. I just yeah. ain't going to do it. It didn't make sense to me. I want to go on something, the acres, the diamonds, fields of diamonds idea. Please. About two years ago. So I've always built the business that Chad and I have together, cleaning company. It's always been something that I was building as a revenue stream for the purpose of I wanted to provide value as a service, right? We wanted to do it, do it well, but it was for me to, to extract value from it so that I could do the things that were purposeful for me outside of it. Mm. And about two years ago, I have this conversation with Chad where I'm like, dude, there's some cracks in the foundation of this company. I'm going back in. I'm going to fix this crap. And so he's like, when one of us has got to do it, roll with it. And in doing so, man, I went all in. I don't think I'd ever been all in before on it. Wow. And going all in, all this stuff, that I wanted to accomplish in this podcast, it all came as a result of going all in and being like, I'm just, I'm going to create value here. And it's almost for me, I think that God just like, Hey, now that you're focused on the, on the truly the right things on creating value for others, like through this and not worry about extracting value from it. I'm going to give you all that stuff that you wanted within it, which is what you're doing with Kepner, which yeah. is what I love. All those things, again, building champions. I'm like, man, you might not be building champions that put a belt on, but you're building champions that are going to the, whatever it is their job is the next day. Cause they feel, they feel better. They feel fit. They're in the environment where they're, they feel safe to get better, whether it's your employees and or whether a, it's your clients. It's a deeper result Absolutely. and a more long-term result. Oh, ripple effect is way bigger yeah. in what you're doing now yeah. versus what you were doing. Here's right. the, here's the cool thing here for both of you and these stories behind the diamonds in your backyard is the opportunity and the success I believe is there for every person, every entrepreneur in their backyard. Oh yeah. If you remove the excuses. Yes. For you, you remove the excuse of I can't pursue my passion and I can't pursue these things I want to do because I'm having to fix a cleaning company. I'm having to run a cleaning yeah. company because our management team didn't work out at, at that time. You didn't come in with that excuse or that mentality. For you, man, here's a guy didn't graduate high school, yeah. had a neck injury, uh, Lyme disease, uh, all the things against you, all the excuses in the world handed in your lap, and you just refused to accept and use the excuses. You kept pursuing the diamonds in your backyard and the success story you wanted. And I think that's so huge for anybody out there growing a business or starting a business or changing jobs or whatever it may be. Those opportunities for success are there yeah. If you get away from the excuses and stop letting those things hold you back. And to touch on this, I've never shared this with anybody before outside of my wife uh, and my family, but um, 
it was it was to a point where you know my late ten years where we were looking at disability, and that's wow. what it was, and and that was a big shift of of again like I said like you know I've read so many books right like you guys all read everyone reads but it's like the idea of n no excuses dude you your life is the result of you whether it is or not whether someone ran you over with a car and it has not your fault at all what you do moving forward now is your responsibility defines who you are and moving forward yeah it defines yeah. who you are man and it's like for instance when my father and I had a big issue and uh, and he literally disowned me if <laughs> you could ask my wife and I was trying to reconnect with him and he finally wrote me a letter don't write me ever again at that moment when I read it my wife was there with me and I said how can I make this the reason that I succeed that's it how can I make this the reason that I achieve my potential and I do everything to benefit other people benefit myself or family and continue growing and use it as fuel to grow and asking those right questions right versus why did this happen to me mm. uh, why is this always happening not, not fair uh, dealt a bad hand yeah you went from those things and those obstacles to not only growing a successful business in a successful gym building a franchise model yeah. that's going to help other people be successful that's right. and helping people every day be successful. It gives me chills. Like it's oh, yeah, man. such an it's, amazing Because it's fired up because like you said, <laughs> you said you're 33. Yeah. All right. So half your life ago. Yeah. You're just punk kid smoking a pack a day, yeah. hanging out with people who aren't going on nowhere. the street downtown, even panhandling, going to a gym. Oh, hell At no. some point in your life was a stretch. No, hell no. I never, <laughs> yo, get this, guys. I never have attended a fitness class until I attended one at our current location. <laughs> and then I started attending other fitness classes, uh, secret shopping and spying on them. So I'd drive out to Buford, do like Orange Theory, do a Fit Body Boot Camp, do all these other things. You're stealing, man. Where the they don't know time. me. Yeah. Right? yeah. And see it like, okay, you know what was nice, though? The last time I did that, last time I did that, I was like, oh. We, we, we got all this. Like, we got that. We're good. But, yeah, the first time I did it, I was like, oh, my God, Whoa. we suck. Yeah, I'm like, wow, we don't, we don't got nothing of this. We don't know how to do any of this. So that was a beautiful reflection of that. It's like, and, of course, it will happen again where someone will come about, and you'll be like, oh, man, okay, I can learn something new from you. But, yeah, that was a beautiful thing. But, yeah, man, it's like, and that's one of the advantages, too, is that I think almost going into the industry and not knowing anything about it helped in a certain way. Because I know a lot of people that went into the fitness industry and knew almost too much about it. They were and stuck in that box. Yeah. They couldn't see their way out. They were stuck out. in that yeah. box, man. And then and so they got stuck into bad veins, veins that didn't work. It's like uh, someone that I, I, I mentor with his gym, and he's actually having – and this is, again, a reflection of the franchise capabilities of, like, I plug simply some of our systems that we've developed into his gym. Now it's starting to do well during a pandemic and recession, right? So it's like just over a couple months, it's starting to do well. So I'm, I'm getting the validation on the marketplace. It's like, look, Kepner Box is not a fluke. This is truly a system that works. Um, and so getting that validation from other people and other uh, people in other counties and everything else. So in other markets, but man, it's, uh, it's interesting because, so this gentleman, right? He grew a big personal training business. He was doing all the coaching and like structuring of it. And then someone else was doing all the selling of it. The guy that was selling it, he was your typical gym salesperson. So he was making the overweight ladies cry to get them to sign up. Uh, husbands were coming in screaming at him, like, what the hell did you do? You know, what'd you do to my oh, wife? Man. Just disastrous. Or like, I remember, I will never forget uh, one of our personal clients back in the day when we were on Backstreet told me about experience they had going into a, a fitness facility where 
uh, they were, you know, gonna maybe do some personal training and they were only like 18 years old and their stepfather was there and I was friends with his stepfather and he was kind of hiding in the back, just observing, you know, just to make sure nothing bad happened or like make sure she wasn't ripped off. And so, yeah, so this guy gets around to getting the credit card and he's like, okay, yeah, personal training, Samantha, sounds great. He's about to run it. And then my buddy comes out kind of from behind. He's like, wait, hold up, hold up. I'm her stepfather. How much about to run that card for? And for one month of personal training, this guy was going to run this card for at least $5,000. Whoa. I kid you not. Like, seriously, it was going to max out our card, but he was going to make that money. He was going to make that commission. And, and that's something like with our team, for instance, like right now, I don't know if it will ever change, but right now and for the longest time, we don't do commissions. We do bonuses when we succeed as a team because it's a team effort, man. Sure. Somebody comes in and trains with one coach and one front desk staff meets them and talks to them and builds rapport and value. And then they come back the next day and sign up. Like, how do you divide that up? That's hard. That's right. And then also what I've noticed is people that come to us from certain sales backgrounds, not all, but certain sales backgrounds, they'll be like, highest ticket item. How can I sell it? How can I ram it down the throat? And it's like, you don't realize you're killing the lifetime value, dude. Mm-hmm. So like our, our clients on average, stick with us for about a, it's 1.5, 1.8 years. They stay with us okay. about 1.8. And so the average fitness person those stays with the facility for about anywhere from like three to six months. Mm-hmm. All right. And we like to think that that's because we truly don't try to ram it down their throat. We sell, we help you make a decision. When we find the right decision, we consult with you. But I mean, heck dude, if you want to do jujitsu, we're going to send you to one of the great jujitsu facilities around here. We're not going to try to ram boxing down your throat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that's really cool. Back to the franchising for a second. And I'm a numbers guy. Please. Uh, Anything you don't want to share, feel Mm -hmm. free uh, to skip. Uh, To our audience listening out there, to our business owners that is thinking about franchising uh, and thinking about, I know it's a lot of work uh, from a money standpoint. Is this a, does it take 50 grand to franchise? Does it take 350? What is the cost Uh, behind going from business owner to ready to sell a franchise? Cool. Yeah. So for instance, for our development team, it was about 20 K. Okay. So just to go out the door, that's all it is. Now, let me tell you real fast with some pitfalls. So I had this one guy, this lawyer up in, I think New Jersey, reach out to me, cold call, cold call, never met dude in my life, no introduction, nothing. And he was trying to sell me on, I think $5,000 or maybe it was a little bit more to get the legalese stuff done for the franchise. All right. And when he first called me, it was when we first moved into our like location right now. And so I just wasn't ready. It wasn't in my realm. I wasn't ready to start franchising. Then he called me back actually like, I think about a year ago. And I was like, okay, yeah, Robert, now I'm, I'm interested, you know, a little bit. Let's, let's start talking some more. So we started talking this more and some more. And so there were some red flags anyway of him, like not asking about what the business was really and like what the model was and making sure it was profitable or at least worked. And so uh, I was like, tell you what, Robert, it's like one thing I've learned, man, is references, dude. I'm like, send me other people you've worked with that have been successful yep, uh, and that have successful franchises and, and we'll move forward, man. So he's like, okay, yeah, man. And so he sent me, uh, and it was funny too, because he always calls from his house, his dog barks. And two years ago, he was like, yeah, I'm at the house today getting some work, uh, housework done. Same two years story. Later, same thing. So yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> he gave me the references of other people he'd sold for like a couple thousand bucks, maybe it was $5,000, something like that, just to do the legal paperwork, dude. I'm not even talking about making the manuals. For 20K, we got the manuals done. We got the legalese stuff done, the FDD done. 
we're good. We're legit now. So it's not near as expensive as I no, anticipated. No, it is the perfect lean accelerator. Because also, too, think about it. Think about corporate locations versus franchise. You do 20K to get everything ready to rock. I mean, that's it. You got to put some money into marketing probably. Sure. But outside of that, man, you are at least not going to be throwing hundreds of thousands of dollars at it. You probably make that money back yeah. just building it out for your for well, your own right. company store. That's right. That's right. And but what's beautiful though about franchising that I love is when you do the franchise fee correctly and it's not exorbitant and you do the percentage of revenue within reasonable amounts of the market, which is about 6%, it's a long game. And so yep. I love that because it creates discipline within me. It makes it so that I have to ensure long-term success. Because man, like if you look at what it takes to get it rolling and going out and field supporting these people starting and doing it right. You know, the, the franchise fee just covers that, man. You don't break even. You sure. don't make anything yeah. on it. And then you talk about 6% uh, fran uh, you know, revenue fee every month. I mean, you know, it's something over a while, but not right away. Mm -hmm. And so it's a beautiful thing to, I think, keep the right type of people as franchisors disciplined to ensure long-term success. Um, and that's what I love about it. That's what drew me to it is almost all the regulations on it in a sense of like, you know, all the things that are required in it. You can't just like bait and switch people. You can't, you know, just like be real uh, loose and fast with it. You have to like be on the ball with it. And I love that because I am very value oriented and sincere, but I, I need somebody like my wife to keep me locked in a little bit and that's where i like this business model because it keeps you legally locked in of like yo if you say what your revenue was for your location you have to note that in the fdd now and yep. if you don't they can use that they can use that as like a misrepresentation and so it's just it's beautiful how that works but anyway so so this guy robert man i called up his his references and every single person i talked to he gave me like probably three or four references Every single person I talked to him, they said, oh yeah, Robert's great. We always called him asking a question. He's wonderful, wonderful. I'm like, okay, awesome, awesome. So then I asked the question. I said, okay, how many locations you got? How many franchises have you sold? None, none, none from each every, every one of them. <laughs> so I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even know if what he did for you worked. You know, for all you know, he copied and pasted and these your are business. his, his hand-selected references he yes. gave you. He gave me like three or four, so they're supposed to be the best, right? Sure, I yeah. Hope so. But yeah, so, and he was always like kind of like not wanting me to get the references. Now I know why. Because it's like, dude, you guys haven't sold a franchise, so how do you know if they screwed it all up for you or not? And you don't have everything else. Again, like I said, with our franchise partners, wonderful company. Actually, they're located in Alpharetta, but they work, you know, nationally and internationally, uh, is... They did the manuals, they did everything. And so, I mean, gosh, you're talking you know, over 100 pages for a manual, it's laborious work. I mean, goodness gracious, it's laborious work when we have to update it, much less do the whole darn thing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, beautiful team, I just, I love it. They sent one of their team members from Chicago down, he flew down, spent a day with us, everything else, and so it's just, it's a real beautiful thing. And like, same thing with their business model, by the way, is like, listen, I were kind of trying to figure the numbers, right? Because I'm always trying to watch out and trying to make sure, like, like Josh, you know, I'm, I'm a little cynical type of person, right? So <laughs> I was trying to watch out for, like, where, where's, the, where's the scam? Where's the catch, the catch? Like, how could this be distorted and maybe there be incentive in the wrong direction? I'm like, dude, these people aren't really making, like, any money much. I mean, they're, they're paying for it. That's it, really. Uh, and really where they make their money, like, with our partner is when we start selling, because yeah. anyone that they sell, they'll get like 20% of any lead that they sell. 
If I go out right now tomorrow and sell a lead, I keep 100%. If they bring a lead and I'm like, hey, sell them on it, they get 20% off that sale and that's it. So it's against the long-term success in yeah. relationship. That's fantastic. A, a win-win relationship again for, for everybody involved, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah, all right, Keith, let's, let's land the plane right here. Let's say me and Chad are wanting to franchise our company Tell us and our listeners, what's the first thing we need to do? Like, what, this, this is the first step you want to take if you really do want to franchise your company. Well, I would say just the very first thing, just to ensure you have a, you know, ensure you have, hopefully have a successful franchise, right? I mean, that's the goal with what we're doing and how we've examined the market, but you have to examine the market, right? So you have to truly look at what game you want to play, if you want to play the Southeast game or the national game or whatever, and truly see who the hell is out there and not underplay them. I mean, that's something that I know took us a while to get was, Find out who's doing what you're doing, how they're doing it, how well are they doing it, and if you actually truly have a unique selling proposition or if you're just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. It's like if we were franchising our business and I was like, hey man, it's a nine round circuit and you go from round to round, it's three minutes rounds and you have a bag and everything else, cool, 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 and you can go anytime you want. That's nine round, you can't do that. <laughs> like, good luck trying to succeed. But you'd be, be surprised how many franchises are literally just yeah. cookie cutter copies of other ones. And uh, like literally, there's ones like that of nine round. You know, it's like sure. eight round. You know, crap like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's the first thing. Second thing is, I, I like what I did, and that's that I called up brokers, talked to them, and got them to hook me up with uh, companies that work with franchises. Right. So this one company that I talked to, this one guy spent two hours with me on the phone, really gave me a ton of information on the market and my specific market and competitor competitors. Um, Rhino 7 was a company, but look for these different franchise companies that work and, and, and uh, form franchises and kind of spend some time consulting with them, you know, and getting their perspective of the market and how you do have a unique advantage or not, what, what you might need to change, things like that. Like for instance, this one phone call gave me a perspective of, wow, we actually need to slightly change something to our name, add something to it that other competitors have been failing with. So that's something we did with the franchise. And there's other things that, uh, like use of square footage, for instance, with the physical locations, there's something where competitors have failed. We learned that, we changed it, we know how we can succeed now against that and why they got stagnant and why they got stagnant and so how we can improve on that. So that's the key. And then I would say my recommendation to everybody is if you want a franchise, start building out the systems now then after a couple years, and I know that sucks, dude, because like when people tell me a couple years, I'm like, screw you, dude, shut up. <laughs> like I don't want a couple years, I want a couple months. But uh, a couple years, maybe depending on your systems and the maturity of your business, you know, maybe a year, six months. Um, like, you know, once you bring on the staff and everything else, and you can kind of see what is working, what's not working, everything else, what needs to be there, what doesn't need to be there. Uh, but so building out the systems, like you're going to franchise, and when you're kind of at this point where you're able to operate it like a franchise, then bring on, I would recommend a development team. So, and again, you're looking at like 20K and that's like nothing. And many of these companies will do payment plans with you. Totally fine. It's great. It's wonderful. And um, they'll do the heavy lifting for you because there is just, you know, being familiar with the business now and what it takes to get it legal and going. There's, there's a lot of ins and outs, man. And if, if you, you know, I don't want to be like the salesperson for like working with, you know, consultants or development teams, but like, man, like if you screw that up, man, it's, it's going to hurt. And that's where I'm so happy I didn't get caught up by this guy, Robert, and, you know, pay him money just to do some paperwork for us. And now, okay, here you go. Yeah. You got your franchise. You don't have manuals. You don't have an FDD. You don't got nothing. 
Yep. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, dude, we're going to have to get you back sometime, Keith. There's still, I mean, this is how every episode goes. We're like at the end, I'm like, I got like 4,000 other questions <laughs> I can ask you, you know, because we're just rolling with it. But anyway, we appreciate you being here. Again, you guys got to follow Keith on social media. You want to get inspired? It's like Tony Robbins every day on morning, dude. It's like you get fired up. So motivational. What do you call it every day? Oh, so motivation got, Monday, toughness Tuesday, wisdom Wednesday, thoughtful Thursday, and fulfillment Friday. He's got them all named. Where do brother. where do people find you at? How, how do they find you? Uh, right so I mean, radio station is a great way, but even better way as well is um, you know Instagram, Coach Keith Kepner. Um, people follow me on my personal Facebook page. That's great. Uh, to learn boxing technique and stuff, follow Kepner Boxing YouTube channel. We have like over 2,000 subscribers and, you know, like I said, some videos with like 60,000 views on it and gotten a lot of wonderful feedback on that. We actually have people like in across the world taking our lessons and like doing them and then putting up a video on YouTube of them doing it. So Whoa. it's been really cool. Ripple but yeah, awesome. so just look for Counter Boxing anywhere and please follow it. And if anyone listening, you know, or whatever exposes content knows of anybody who is interested in this opportunity, this is the time to get in on it. It's not the time when we're already 50 in because then the franchise fee is going to be higher. We purposely have a very low competitive startup fee that literally just covers our costs because, you know, like you guys know, you want to get momentum running. Yeah. Absolutely. You want to right. over, you want to overcome any get more time and attention for less yeah. money right now. Yeah. Oh, yep. oh God. Yeah. And that's like, man, my fighters, when I started like in 2013, the most spoiled fighters ever, right? Yeah. My clients, the most spoiled, like you guys know too, right? Your first couple clients yeah. is like, they're spoiled to death. If anything, that can hurt your business sometimes. It can. Too, right? You set the bar way too high. <laughs> yes. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Awesome. Keith, we appreciate it, man. Thank you, bud. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to like and subscribe to The Entrepreneur Adventure wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, the Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on the Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.